0: Okay. Okay, let's read God's word together. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 1. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel on the outskirts of Canaan. He says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, And your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with brooks, streams, and deep springs of gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And the Lord will bless his truth to all our hearts. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen. On the 21st of June, 2015, that was the day of the first Giro d'Italia Grand Fondo in Northern Ireland. There were two rides available that day. One was a long ride, one was a shorter ride, and I did the shorter ride. I started out with Andy Dara, who's sitting over there, okay? And I never saw him after the first kilometer. (laughs) For the other 57 kilometers, I had to battle around on my own. But hey, the thing is this, I finished, and I got a medal. And when I came down to the finishing area, got off the bike, got the medal and so on. And and, uh, then I I, I, I bumped into the photographer from the Belfast Telegraph, who at that time was the photographer who also did photographs for the Newton Abbey Times. And he recognized me. Oh, Johnny says, I need to get a photograph. Would I go and get a reporter? I said, no, no, would I get a reporter? So he got a reporter and she interviewed me. And apparently I said this, according to the Belfast Telegraph, there's just something about being out in the fresh air, the pain, and then feeling really good again when you finish. It was just really class today. I made it. In spite of all the obstacles that I was afraid of and the distances involved, I made it. And today feels a bit like that here in Kern Money. We made it. 12 years ago, we set our faces to follow what we understood to be the leading of the Lord and now here we are. So many things we felt called to do have been done and whilst there were mistakes and failures, more has happened than we had any right to hope for. And the thing is this, as Paul's already said, we were all involved in this, not just the elders, not just the staff, not just the organizations, but everybody, you you, and me, we were all on a journey together. That Sunday in that race for 57 kilometers, I was on my own, but I actually wasn't on my own. I was beside literally hundreds of other riders I didn't know. And at the end, I was congratulating them and, they were, and I was being congratulated by people who a few hours before that had been complete strangers. And it's been like that for us these 12 years. There are people sitting here today, weren't even Christians 12 years ago, who didn't go to church at all, who didn't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. There are people here who once belonged to other churches, moved into our area and joined the journey. And here we are today and we know people now who were complete strangers to us when we started 12 years ago. And that's what it was like on the day that Moses addressed the people of Israel in those verses we read from Deuteronomy chapter eight. The people that he had led for the last 40 years, they had made it. Canaan was up ahead. They could see it now. It was on the other side of the river. It says in those words that we read for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land with brooks streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills a land with wheat and barley vines and fig trees pomegranates olive oil and honey now they were going to be able to exchange the hand-to-mouth existence of the previous 40 years for the abundance of Canaan they had made it And at that moment of time, when they had made it, when they had got there, Moses wanted them to realize that this moment was characterized by two things that they needed to recognize and that we need to recognize in the same place as we finish 2020 vision today and launch our new strategy over the next month. There are two things, really important things that we need to realize about now. And the first one is this, it's wonder, wonder. The very first thing Moses wants the people of God to do is to remember. But interestingly, it's not for the reasons that we usually do remember in church. You know, we have a habit of remembering in a certain way. We're inclined to remember something like this, you know, that what happened on our watch Was the most important thing that ever happened in the church. You know, nothing again could ever be as hard or as rewarding or as amazing as the things that God did among us on our watch. That's how we remember. Oh, they were great days. Do you remember? Do you remember? And all that we're actually doing is robbing the future of possibility. It can never be as good as this again. Nothing really interesting can ever happen again because of what we did these past 12 years. And Moses doesn't want the people of God to remember like that. He wants them to remember in a different way. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Think about that for a moment. The wilderness had been a punishment from God because God's people had been in this very spot 40 years before. they had stood looking over the the river into the land that God was giving to them and they had turned on their heels and walked away. And because they would not accept the leadership of Moses and they would not receive the gift of God of the abundance of Canaan, they were punished by being in the wilderness for 40 years. But here's the amazing thing. The wilderness became the theater of God's rich provision for his people. In various unforgettable phrases, Moses brings the people to wonder and praise for the goodness and care of God. He says things like, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Now I realize there's some of you sitting there, probably the women in the congregation, thinking one outfit for 40 years? Seriously like? But in those days, people had clothes that lasted all their lives and your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years. The thing is that when God is among us, earthly things seem to last longer, seem to go further, seem to taste sweeter because the presence of God is among us. You'll know the story in the Old Testament of the prophet Elijah and he approaches a woman in a village during a time of famine and she is gathering sticks to light a fire to cook a meal for herself and her son. What he doesn't know is that she only has enough for herself and her son and it's the last meal she ever expects to cook. And the prophet says to her, if you'd make me a little to eat, then he says the Lord won't fail you. So she cooks him the last provision that she has for herself and her boy. And she feeds the prophet. And then you remember what happened? The little jar that had meal in it and the little bottle that had oil in it never emptied for months to come because God was there. Normal human provision seems to last longer, go farther, taste sweeter because He is among us. And it was true for the children of Israel in the wilderness, and it has been true for us these 12 years that even ordinary earthly things have seemed all the more special because He was with us. But there's more. Because beyond the extension of normal earthly provision, there is also the miracle of divine provision. Moses says to the people, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. The mercies of God were new every morning. That's probably where that text comes from in the Old Testament. It comes from the collective memory of the people of Israel who opened their tents every morning in the wilderness and saw the desert floor covered in manna. Every day they woke, the miraculous provision of God was there. All they had to do was gather it and share it together. God provided for their needs. When Christine and I were at university as undergraduates in Belfast, um, which was now long years ago, a long number of years ago, pretty much in the Middle Ages really, and we were in university together. And in those days, you didn't travel up and down from Derry every day to go to university in Belfast. You actually stayed in Belfast. So we only went home about once every three weekends by the time we had no more clean clothes to wear and things like that. And, and, and so in the meantime, we lived in Belfast. And when my dad was up and down to Belfast, maybe to visit somebody in hospital or go to a meeting in church house, he would always ring up the night before he came up and say, John, do you want to get Christina and join me for lunch tomorrow? Now, I, I, she never said, but I'm convinced my mum had said to him, look, those two young people are up there in Belfast. They haven't got much money. They're probably not eating properly. Take them out for lunch and so every time he was up in town, we would have gone out and eaten somewhere, usually in Botanic Avenue, and it was lovely. And it was kind of like my dad's provision for what he thought was his son who probably wasn't eating properly when he wasn't at home to have his mum's cooking. That's kind of what God did for his people in the wilderness. Every morning they opened the door of the tent. The desert floor was covered with the miraculous provision of God for the hunger of his people the miracles of God, the everyday goodness of God in the miracle of manna. And we've experienced it, not quite in that way. We sang these words a moment or two in worship. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. And in darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Not just God's ability to make earthly provision go further than it should but God's miraculous provision over and above all that for the needs of his people. And when Moses summarizes the miracles of God on their journey, he says the same thing twice. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. God does new things. In the desert, he made a miracle for the provision, uh, for the needs of his people, but he did something he'd never done before. They experienced something in their generations that previous generations hadn't seen. In spite of all God's goodness amongst the patriarchs and the ancestors who had gone before, they never had manna nor water from the rock, only the people in the wilderness. God does new things. And over and over again these past 12 years, we've had new experiences of God's power at work among us. Too many to mention, but I tried to think in my mind of what I could say, but I remember one Sunday morning there was a young woman sitting over there and at the end of the service, she came for prayer and she had a couple of things that she wanted prayer. She was quite upset. She said, John, I haven't slept for three weeks. I go home at night and I, I, I go to bed. She said, there, I have a sense of a presence in the room, stands at the foot of my bed. She said, I feel it as an evil and malevolent presence. And she said, I can't sleep, I'm scared out of my wits. She also mentioned something else that was fairly mundane compared to that. And so I prayed with her and I invited the Lord by his Holy Spirit so to inhabit this young woman's life that it would dispel the presence of whatever was evil in her room and give her peace and safety. And off she went. And I didn't see her, she was in church over the next couple of weeks, but I never got to talk to her. There was other people Grabbed me after service. It was about four weeks before I finally had a conversation with her, and I was dying to know what happened. And I said, "How are you?" And and, and the first thing she said was the other more minor thing she asked for prayer was, "I oh, said it's not really any better. I'm tell you the truth, I'm not really any better." And I said, "What, what, what about the other thing? What 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 about the thing you know in your room at night?" Oh, she said. She said the moment you prayed for that, it stopped. Uh, and, I, I can't, and And there's a kind of a thing whereby sometimes when God does things among us, it, it becomes like kind of, you know, it's not a big deal anymore. Something amazing happened in this young woman's life and she was more concerned about something far more minor that the Lord hadn't done for her when he had dealt with this evil malevolent presence in her life. New experiences that God gave us of his power and of his presence. He did new things among among us men and women and young people. This is a moment of wonder. A moment of wonder at the goodness and faithfulness of God. For 40 years, your clothes never wore out and your feet never swole. And for 40 years, you opened the door of your tent and the miraculous provision of the Lord was all around you. A moment of wonder but also a moment of danger. Moses was aware, and he wants to make us aware that this is the most dangerous part of the journey. Not the obstacles on the way, but the moment when you make it. How come? How can that possibly be the most dangerous moment? Well, for one thing, it's dangerous because you can get ahead of yourself Pride is the first great danger right now. At the end of that race, when I was interviewed by the Belfast Telegraph reporter, the very first thing she asked me was my age. I was 61 at the time. Oh, she said, oh, 61, that's really good. That's, and I kind of felt, yeah, it was really good. Actually, I feel quite impressed with myself at this point in time. And then later in the day, when I bought the Belfast Telegraph, obviously to read the story, I discovered that the same day, two Brothers in their late 80s who had been writing for over 50 years completed the same course. Didn't feel so great then, quite frankly. Because whenever we finish, you know, we can get ahead of ourselves. We we can think who's like us, you know. And in the longest sentence in all the Hebrew scriptures, which Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 12 to 17, several sentences in the NIV, but in the Hebrew original, it's one sentence. And it starts and ends like this. This is what Moses says When you eat and are satisfied in Canaan, when you build fine houses and settle down, you may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. We made it and we did it. That's the temptation. And Moses says, No, we didn't do it. It wasn't us. Moses says to the people, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I'm not saying that in this past 12 years, we didn't work hard. We did work hard. For me, there've been times when I drove home after doing an Alpha weekend, or on a Sunday after doing three or four services, or at the end of a week when I seemed to do nothing but funerals, and I could hardly muster the energy to get out of my car and go into the house. But what was achieved on that weekend, or on that Sunday, or on that week of activity, was not my doing nor yours. It was the Lord's. When Paul talks about his ministry, he says this He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul says, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Nor did you people in Colossae do it. Christ did it in us. Let's not steal the glory, it's not ours. And the big danger of this moment when we make it is that we get ahead of ourselves and we think, wow, all this happened because of us because we worked, we committed, we gave, we sacrificed, we, 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 we. No, it didn't. Let's not steal the glory. If something happened among us these past 12 years, it was all down to him. But here's the other danger. You can settle down Moses uses another of those unforgettable expressions to describe what comes next. He says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Abundance of bread. I was in Marks and Spencer's on Friday, grabbing a couple of things for our tea on Friday evening. I bumped into Maxine McDowell in the bread section. And she said, isn't this the best thing in this shop? Because now when you come in through the door, what can you smell? Fresh bread baking. And I agree with her. I think there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh bread. And You come into the shop and there it is. And there's no lack of it. There's, I don't know how many different varieties Most of it's baked this morning. It's fresh. Sometimes it's even warm when you pick it up and put it in the bag to go and pay for it. What an amazing blessing that is. How much more is that not a blessing if for the previous 40 years you had to go and gather manna outside your tent every morning? And one of the marks of what is amazing about what God is doing in the land where you're going to live is it's a land where bread will not be scarce. And this was a miracle. This manna, all these times in the wilderness, but it was also a test. Moses says that the daily manna routine was, quote, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God gives bread, whether in manna or in the abundance of Canaan, but there's a danger wrapped up in the gift. One commentator puts it like this. He says, God promises rich blessing as part of the relationship he establishes with Israel, yet the blessing itself carries enormous temptation. The wilderness experience had been an adventure of faith. You trusted God that when you went to sleep at night and opened your tent door in the morning, the sustenance would be there to feed your family. But you had to live by faith. And living by faith is something that in our generation, we think missionaries do. They live by faith. You know, they have to raise their own support. They have to go overseas to a culture they don't know in a language they don't understand. And they have to trust God for that. But we don't have to trust God. We don't live by faith. You know, we got paycheck coming in and we got our mortgage okay and, 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 and all the rest of it. We don't live by faith, they do. But for the people of God, living by faith is the only way to live. And the danger of Canaan is that we settle down and the journey of faith is over. Well, we don't need to trust God for what's on the ground tomorrow morning because the yeast and the flour is in the cupboard and we'll bake bread when we get up. And we stop trusting God and we stop living by faith. And the moment we do, Moses says, you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And the word that he uses for destroy there literally means to perish. The best way I can explain it is like this. We have a fruit bowl in the house and every Friday we bring the fruit home from Tesco or wherever, you know, as we bag of mandarin oranges go in there, some grapefruits, because I like grapefruit, maybe some bananas and, and, and maybe some apples as well. You know, and I don't know exactly how it is, but there's always one mandarin orange that doesn't get eaten the first week and then it doesn't get eaten the next week. And the third week again gets buried under the fresh fruit you brought home from Tesco's. And when you finally discover it, it looks like that. It has perished. Decay has set in. You couldn't eat it now. There's virtually nothing of it left. Moses says that's what will happen to the church of Jesus Christ when we stop living by faith. We will rot like an orange at the bottom of the fruit bowl and we will be no use for anything. And I believe this is the greatest danger we face right now as we give thanks to God for the last 12 years, as we look forward to what Rick is going to tell us about in the coming Sundays, and hopefully the session is going to agree and the vision that we're going to have for the next four or five years of our life as the people of God, the biggest danger is we think we have this sussed and we're moving out of the adventure of faith and that's the biggest danger we face Remember Moses, who's standing now on the outskirts of Canaan, reminding the people of the dangers that lie before them. And we remember Moses never wanted to do the job. When God came to call him, he was settled, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He was quite content to spend the rest of his days doing that when he saw a a bush burning that wasn't consumed. And God called him and sent him to lead his people from Egypt to Canaan. And Moses said, I don't want to do it. You've got the wrong person. Please go and find somebody else. I want to stay here. And now 40 years later on the outskirts of Canaan, having led his people for 40 years through the wilderness, Moses knows that he had the biggest adventure of his life. He could have stayed settled with his father-in-law's flocks. He'd have missed all this. He'd have missed what the adventure of faith brought into his life see the power of God to extend ordinary earthly things and then to make miraculous provision for need, to show up in care and in abundance in ways that they could never have imagined possible and in ways that their ancestors had never seen. And he got to see all this because he went on the adventure of faith. And the biggest danger we face right now is that we drop out of that adventure. We cut back on budgets. We focus on those who are inside rather than reaching those who are outside. We listen to the congregation instead of trying to listen and discern the voice of God. We do intercession rather than prayer ministry. We are comfortable rather than obedient. That's the biggest danger. Hey guys, we made it. We made it 12 years on. We have finished the race. Okay, we could have done better. Our times might have been better. There were some sections of it we did particularly badly on. We'll have to train a bit more for that in the future, okay. But hey, we made it. We're here. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to figure out what happens next. And let's be thankful to God about that. It's a moment of wonder. God journeyed with us. The living God did stuff among us. It was amazing. But there's a danger. Let's not steal the glory. If anything worked these last 12 years wasn't because of us, it was because of him. And let's not leave the adventure of faith. Let's keep doing the things that make us uncomfortable. Let's keep listening to the voice that relentlessly calls us forward. Let's give ourselves to the life of faith and let's see what God can do. Let's worship him in our offering.